Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's message. Be sure to tune in to whatever Bethesda Church is doing on our website, BethesdaChurch.tv, or check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Now, let's jump into today's message. presence of God in this place. I'm so excited to share part three of this current series with you. We've been in a series called Pace, and um, our key text, I'm just going to jump right in today. Our key text comes from Hebrews chapter number 12, and it's the first three verses. The writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The premise behind the entire series is that you and I find our spiritual pace. There is a pace for your race. The problem is, is that on our spiritual journey, trying to find our pace, sometimes we pick up weight. Sometimes we pick up sin. Sometimes we pick up an offense And so as we're trying to find our pace, sometimes we find ourselves bogged down. And I want to say to you this morning that if the enemy cannot get you to turn your back on Jesus, then he simply wants to do everything in his power to distract you from Jesus. And not just to distract you from Jesus, but to distract you from the purpose for which God has called you. See, the Christian life is not about living from the outside in. The Christian life is about living from the inside out. And I think we we struggle to find our pace when we allow the external to dictate the internal. We have, to, we have to shift that. We have to break through that so that we can live from the internal and then shift the external. And see, that's what we are called to do. And in this series, we've been using the words that Jesus spoke to specific churches and cities in the book of Revelation. In um, the first message, we talked about going back before going forward. Jesus gave a word to the Ephesian church and said, I I love everything you're doing, your service, you guys are faithful, you're doing real good, but I got one thing against you, you have left your first love. And Jesus' word to them was, go back and do what you used to do. And so we learned in that message, sometimes before we can go forward, we got to go backward. And then last week, we looked at the church of Smyrna. Jesus had a word for them as well. And in the midst of their persecution, in the, in the midst of giving themselves up for their faith, Jesus gave them a word to be faithful regardless. Be faithful regardless. And today we come to week number three, and we have a third church that Jesus ministered to, and it was the church of Pergamum. 
And I'm going to call this message, I'm going to call it sweating the small stuff. Sweating the small stuff. Look at Revelation chapter number 2. We're going to start in verse number 12. It says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. And I want you to get this next line because there's two things he's saying here. He says, I know where you live. Anybody thankful today that God knows where you live? All right? This is important because he, he's, he's given a distinction. He's letting them know, I know where you live, but he also saying, I know where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas. Now, Antipas was the bishop of the church, and he is known for being martyred for his faith. He was actually put to death by being enclosed in a, bur a burning brazen bull. He says, so he, he brings him up. He says, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Man, I, I'm going to continue reading, but how many of you can be doing really, really good in a lot of things and God will acknowledge it? But it's kind of tough when God says, hey, I love what you're doing, but... <laughs> I got a few things against you. I got a few things against you. He says here, there are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Now, I'm going to stop here, and it shows us right here because he's talking to his people, and so I'm going to go back to the phrase that I said a couple of weeks ago, that it is possible for us to start well and finish poorly. That, that's why he's saying you need to repent. He's talking to his people, to his church, and he says, repent, therefore, and, and repentance, I want to make sure that we have a strong stance here at Bethesda Church. Repentance is for everyone. Not just, not just lost people that need to repent. Sometimes it's not the lost that need to repent. It's the saved that need to repent. It, it's, it's, it's people that are in church and, and say they love Jesus, how many's ever had the Holy Spirit speak to you and say, hey, you need to turn, you need to repent? Anybody thankful for the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit that will not leave us in our mess? So he says, I want you to repent, and he says, otherwise, I'll come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. There's a phrase that we've all heard before, and that phrase is, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Now, I agree with that sentiment to a degree. 
Sure, we don't want to waste time getting sweating over the details or getting bogged down uh, in the details to the point that it hinders our progress. However, there are some times that we need to be sweating the small stuff. It's, a, it's certainly true when it comes to your, your relationship with God, but it's also true when it comes to your relationships that you have on earth and even the calling and the purpose that God has placed in you. I want to remind this house today that the Song of Solomon 2.15 says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. In other words, it's not the big thing that we may be looking for, but it's the small thing. And how often do we ignore the small things because we are so involved with what we consider or deem as big things? Solomon tells us it's not the big things, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Did you know that the Christian life is meant to be lived from the inside out, not from the outside in? And it's important that we grasp that. Now, a question that I would ask you is, do you know that the main, one of the main reasons why businesses in this nation go out of business? It's real simple. They, number one, they fail to deliver quality care to the customers, or secondly, they fail to pay attention to the details. The small stuff matters when it comes to our faith. It's easy to say that it doesn't matter as long as you are sincere until you hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Poster George Gallup, he said this. He said, the problem is not that Americans don't believe. It's that they believe everything. It's not that they don't believe. It's that they believe everything. I heard about a lady who was confused in her local church, and so she, re- she, she reached out to another pastor And she had some questions for him. She said, the church I'm attending, um, they don't really believe in the end times or, you know, the coming of Jesus. And and I'm reading the Bible, and it just, it looks like, you know, Jesus is returning, but they don't teach that, don't believe that. And and she she went on to tell him that um, they believe that in 2 Peter, where it says the earth will be destroyed by fire, they believe that is symbolic. And the pastor said to the lady, he said, why don't you ask them if they believe whether the flood of Noah was an actual flood? Was the flood a symbol of some kind of spiritual cleansing God did on the earth? And she said, well, why is that important? What do you mean? And the pastor replied, well, the passage that speaks of the earth being destroyed by fire as God makes a new heaven and a new earth is in 2 Peter 3. And Peter says the earth was destroyed first by water, and then in the last days it will be destroyed by fire. If the fire is symbolic, then so is the flood of Noah. But if the flood was literal, so is the fire. You say, what is the point, Pastor Chad? The point is, is that 
We may have different views on some of the things that we read about in the Bible, but I want everybody to know we do not have permission to rewrite the Word of God. The Word of God is infallible. We stand on the Word of God. We preach the Word of God. If If it involves my opinion or God's Word, we need to choose God's Word over our opinion every single day. Anybody thankful that the Word became flesh, dwelled among us and we got to behold his glory. The word is important and we do not have permission to rewrite it. While we all see through a glass darkly, Paul said, which means that we have limited knowledge. We have to hold fast to the foundational truths of our faith and not allow the world or people to pull out of us what we know to be true. I want to stop again right here and let's give God praise that we have his word today. Come on, give him a praise if you're thankful that he has left his word in your possession. Come on, you can do better than that. His word. Come on, I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. His word sustains me. His word provides for me. And his word is what we stand on. The problem in the church at Pergamum is that false teaching had came in and it had started to steal away what they had built their faith upon. Deception entered into that church, and partly because the culture was so dominated by other gods that there were, there were temples that were literally built in Pergamon to emperors. Like they would build these temples, and they served all these different gods, and some of this teaching and some of this worship was trying to make its way into the church that had been birthed out of the Ephesian revival. And, and we see all of this happening. We see the gods of Athena and Demeter and all these um, temples that were constructed for, for emperors. And Jesus steps on the scene in the midst of all of that. And he says, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. The imagery that Jesus paints is powerful. Because there were two types of Roman governments within this culture. And they bore the power of the sword. There were some who bore the power of the sword, which meant they could put you to death. And then there were some that did not have that kind of power. The Roman proconsul of Pergamon had the right of the sword, which is symbolic of the power of life and death. And they were using it against the people of God. However, that that is one level of power. That is one level of authority. But how many know they were also under a greater authority? Rome was not the final authority. The sword here, it speaks of the Word of God and the ultimate, and I'm going to say it again, the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ. I know that we get stuck sometimes looking at our culture and think that we are subject to certain authorities, but every authority on the earth is subject to the main authority, and his name is Jesus. Come on, somebody. His name is Jesus. So Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any 
double-edged sword and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Revelation 1.16 says, In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Jesus is Lord. He's not the emperor. He's not the president. He's not a politician. He's not a self-proclaimed prophet. Jesus is Lord, and his word is the final word. We all report to a higher authority, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on, one more time, give him praise if you know that he's Lord. I feel something stirring in my spirit right now. Philippians tells us what I just quoted to you in Philippians 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, of, of God the Father. See, we, we're in this culture that we live in, I can't speak to everywhere, but I can speak to where we live in this nation. People are becoming more and more unsettled. Unsettled because of all the different things that we, we watch on the news, the pandemic. We, we got all this stuff going on in the world. And I think a lot of people are becoming unsettled. And I want to encourage you not to be alarmed by what you watch on the news or what you hear about or about this pandemic or any of those things, I want to remind you today the same way Jesus reminded those churches that we have to be faithful in the middle of it and some of the things going on in our world, you just need to know some of it has to come to pass. I know you don't want to hear that because we in the church, we want to escape everything. We want to escape and run from everything negative. But the Bible says in the last days, wars and rumors of war. Some of us are unsettled about the Middle East and what's going on. Will there be peace, Pastor Chad? Yeah, but it'll be temporary. There may be peace, but it's not going to last long. Some of these things have to unfold. And whatever happens, let it be said that from, from my heart, to you today, whatever happens in 2021 and whatever happens with the pandemic and the political landscape and all the things that we see that may trouble us or keep us unsettled, let it be stated that Jesus is Lord and he's working everything out and, and it's in accordance to his will and his purpose. Oh, you can do better than that. Don't patty cake. Come on, if we're going to stand on the word, let's stand on the word. So what do we learn about sweating the small stuff from this church in Pergamum? I believe there's three main things we need to take away. Number one, know what you believe and why. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Pergamum, again, was a city of spiritual deception. 
We are not necessarily living in a city of spiritual deception, but I I know for a fact we are living in a nation of spiritual deception. And the scary thing about deception is, is that you can be sitting up in the church week after week and be deceived. And the biggest problem with deception is it's deception. You don't know that you're being deceived. You can't see the truth of the matter. That's the biggest problem with deception in this hour where people have falsely believed that their voice carries as much weight as everyone else's. Largely because of social media. Everybody has an outlet. Everybody has a voice. And now we think we're just as powerful as the president because we type something. We're just, our words carry just as much weight, it, it, just as much magnitude. And in the midst of that kind of climate, in that kind of deception where we think we're so much better than we really are, let me suggest... Check your heart. Examine not your neighbor, but yourself. Examine not your neighbor, but examine your heart. Know what you believe and why you believe it. The following are real answers given on a Bible knowledge test printed by the Vancouver Sun. It's kind of crazy, but here's some of the answers. Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. Y'all can laugh. Moses went up to the top of Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. The Seventh Commandment is, Thou shalt not admit adultery. Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jericho. Jesus was born because Mary had an immaculate contraption. The people who followed Jesus were called the 12 decibels. The epistles were the wives of the apostles. One of the possums was St. Matthew. Paul preached acrimony, which is another name for marriage. David fought the Finkelsteins, a race of people who lived in biblical times. Now, I I state all of that from the the Vancouver Times because the answers are, are a little funny, but they are sad at the same time. And the reason they are sad is because we are losing our biblical history and we need to return to our faith and the great stories that we read about in the Bible. In Jesus' letter to this church in Pergamum, he lets them know and he speaks specifically not only to where they live, but he also speaks to where Satan lives. He talks about, number one, the throne of Satan. Jesus said that this city they were residing in and this city they were trying to build a church in was actually the place or the throne of Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds to me like a very scary place to live. The city's atmosphere was marked by spiritual oppression. It was a city where Satan's power was extremely People were extremely aware of it, and it had power over people's minds. 
Have you ever been to a place before where you felt the atmosphere of evil? Where it was so pronounced that you thought, I can literally cut what I'm feeling with a knife. Sometimes we have a smog alert, which means that it's dangerous to breathe the air. But what God is issuing here is a spiritual alert for our times. You say, well, where is the throne? And I could go into a lot of detail about Zeus and the different gods that they were serving during this time. We could talk about so many different things. They had one God who they considered as the healing God, and it was symbolized by a serpent. And they referred to this healing God, and people from all over that culture would come to this false God for psychiatric help to be healed in their minds. I want to tell you today that any area where you are believing a lie has now become Satan's throne. Any place that I believe a lie is where Satan develops a stronghold. It's where his throne takes up residence. He mentions the throne of Satan, and then he talks about the threat to the church. He said, you guys have fallen prey to the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. And Balaam, if you'll remember back in the book of Numbers, was a self-proclaimed prophet hired by Balak, to, uh, who was the king of Moab, to put a curse on the Israelites when they were in the desert. And he did this because he was motivated by money, motivated by greed. The book of Jude cautions us against false ministers who have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, referring back to the book of Numbers. But Balaam, what I love about the story is even though he's hired to put a curse on the people of God, he could not curse them because God had blessed them. I'm going to say real strong right here, no one can curse what God has already decided to bless. I don't care how hard they try. I don't care how much they say about you. When God's blessing is upon you, they can hire Bill Gates if they want to, but he can't even pay enough money to put a curse on your life because what God has blessed is blessed. Anybody thankful to have the blessing today? That no man can curse what God has blessed. The teachings of Baal had crept in and it had, and I want you to get this, these teachings had, had polluted the people's hearts. And it, what happened is, is it took their hearts away from God and their purpose and it put their heart and their attention on other things. It, it, I could say it like this, it stole their devotion from God. It stole their, their loyalty to God. It took their heart away from the things of God. And the punishment for Balaam's sin in the Old Testament, and watch this, you got to get this, the punishment was Balaam died by the sword. I find it interesting that Jesus shows up with a double-edged sword. And the point that I'm making is any time you persuade people 
and talk them out of their devotion to God and their purpose in God. Listen, there, there, there is accountability for that. And Jesus said, you need to repent because if I show up, I'm showing up with a double-edged sword to do business. We better be careful about influencing people in the wrong direction. This sin was nothing more than influencing people in the wrong direction. And Jesus said, I'm going to hold you accountable for it. It's one thing, church, for you to stumble, but it's another thing for you to purposefully cause someone else to stumble. My amens are getting lower. It's another thing for you to cause someone else to stumble. These teachings had infiltrated the church. The Nicolaitans were mentioned in the first message we did in the Ephesian church. And that word literally means destroyer of the people. And so there were so many false things trying to infiltrate the church of Pergamum. We know that Smyrna last week, they, they were being destroyed from without through persecution. But listen, the church at Pergamum was not being destroyed from without. It was being destroyed from within. It was being destroyed from within. So he talks about the throne of Satan and the threat to the church, but then he refers to the truth of God. They needed to use the double-edged sword of truth to defeat the false teachings. Jesus says that he will judge those who bring these false teachings unless they repent. Now, I want you to notice he doesn't say this to everyone in the church. He only says it to those who are causing others to stumble. He says, I will fight against them with the sword. And so I, I want to tell all the ministers in this place, if you are called into ministry, the Bible teaches those of us that are called are doubly judged. Pastor, I'm called to preach. You'll be doubly judged. You ready to sign up for that? Because that's what it means. God takes this serious. He holds us accountable. That's why he said, repent, otherwise I'm going to have to come with the double-edged sword. So know what you believe and why. Number two, stay true to Jesus. Stay true to Jesus. Look at verse 13. He says, I know where you live where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. I think what we need to grasp from verse 13, he said, I know where you live, but I also know where Satan's throne is. And I think the point is, is that no matter how dark times get, God is showing us we can still live for Christ in the midst of darkness. I'm going I'm to prove this to you. That we, can, that we can do the right thing, watch this, even when a ton of people are doing the wrong thing. That it is possible to separate yourself. Jesus said, I know where you live. The word live here means your place of permanent residence. He mean, what Jesus is saying is you could have ran from the challenge, but you didn't run 
you stood firm. He's commending them from not running away from the challenge. My question to you today, Bethesda Church, what are you running away from that God has called you to do? What place are, are, has God anointed you for, but because it got difficult, instead of standing firm, you ran from the challenge. You ran from the obstacle. You turned your back on what God had given you to do. See, the Christian way is not always about escape. The Christian way is about endurance. He that endures to the end, that man shall be saved. I want to know, is anybody ready to endure hard times, perilous times, stressful times? Come on, you're ready to walk through it and not give up just because it's challenging. In this season, a lot of people in the body of Christ have been willing to throw in the towel and quit and give up and say, I don't know if I have what it takes to walk this out. But I showed up in here this morning to announce the devil is a liar. He that began a good work in you shall complete that good work. The only thing is, will you stand firm or will you quit? I pray in the name of Jesus that there would be no quitters in this house, but people that know how to stand firm, that know how to walk through a dark place, but know that God will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies, that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Come on, church, give him a praise if you're willing to stand firm in this season. I pray something gets on the inside of you that says, I'm better than this. I'm anointed for this. I can walk through this. Come hell or high water, I will not quit. Let something stand up on the inside of you that is greater than the struggle all around you. Something on the inside of you that says, God, I will not quit. I will stay true to you, Jesus. I will stay true to you no matter what. See, the problem is that those who compromise with the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans were seeking to avoid, please hear me, they were seeking to avoid having to pay the price for their faith. They wanted to escape trouble, escape persecution. They wanted to avoid the way of the cross they did not want to share in the sufferings of Christ. That's what they were running from. They didn't want to sign up for that. But let me remind us, church, that when we signed up for Jesus, we not only signed up for breakthrough, but we also signed up to share in his sufferings. If you haven't suffered for Jesus in a while, then you're probably not staying true to Jesus. We are to set the pace, not march by the drumbeat of the world. The world has its own way of doing things, but it's not how we do things. You say, why? Because we are citizens of the kingdom. 
Our residence is in heaven. We have been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are the head and not the tail. Somebody needs to be reminded today that I know it's hard and you've been suffering and you've been struggling and you've wanted to quit and throw in the towel. But I want to tell you, you have a seat in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And if you could see in the spiritual, you would already see the devil is already under your feet. He's already under your feet. Go ahead and stand up all over this building. I'm going to quit right here. Number three. Number three. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. At some point, someone's going to challenge your faith. Someone, it, it could be a peer. It could be a coworker, It could be a boss. It could be a friend. Somebody somewhere is going to challenge your faith. And you have to decide before you're in the middle of being challenged you got to decide up front. Part of setting the spiritual pace, guys, is making a decision now. When we don't make a decision now, then we, we, we get tempted in the moment. But there is something more powerful than being tempted in the moment, and that's having a made-up mind before you ever get in the moment. Because we don't live by what we feel we live by a decision we've already made. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. We live by a decision that we've already predetermined. And so that's how I find my spiritual pace. If I don't make up my mind, then t people can talk me out of it. If I don't make up my mind, then temptation can pull me out of it. But if I've got a made-up mind that I'm going to stand firm and I'm not going to be moved, and Jesus in the middle of all this talks about the bishop Antipas and tradition, as I said earlier, it, it tells us that the Romans put him inside of a brass bull, build a fire underneath it, and, what, and church, listen, they roasted him alive. They roasted him alive. But he stood firm the letter closes with two promises to the one who is victorious I will give some of my hidden manna and this is so good right here he said those that overcome those that stand firm those that know what they believe and why those that stay true to Jesus I'm going to give you some hidden manna there's so much I could go into but I don't have time but here's what I want you to get. The hidden manna is when what God has promised becomes clear. The manna in the Old Testament was angel's food. It was divine. In this season, if you'll stay true to Jesus, he's going to reveal some hidden things that were not hidden from you but they've been hidden for you. You didn't even hear that. It's not, it wasn't hidden from you. It was hidden for you. Some of you are getting ready to step into some manna. In other words, this isn't from man. This isn't, I, I just hear the Holy Ghost telling me right now that some of you, because you stayed true 
and that you've not been pulled away, that what you're about to walk into, man could not give you, which means man could, cannot take it away. God is bringing you into something that only heaven could have given you. He says, so if you overcome, I got hidden man. And then the last thing he says, he said, I'm going to give you a white stone. This has several references. But connecting it to the hidden manna is probably a reference of when they would invite you to a banquet during these times, they would invite you by giving you a white stone. The stone speaks of righteousness, and it bears a new name that speaks of the change of nature. They were also known, these white stones, as victory stones. In the ancient times, it, they, they would use them to pardon someone. Judges had white stones and black stones. Black stones, if you were to be judged or condemned, but white stones, if you were being pardoned. The point is, because we have already received the chief cornerstone, Jesus, we have been made the righteousness of God, and we now have an invitation to a banquet in heaven, but it's for him who overcomes. Not him who starts well and fades, but it's the person that starts well but also finishes well. And he says, I want you to notice this, the name is known only to him who receives it. In other words, what God wants to do in you and what God has done in you is personal to you. Nobody can talk about the grace of God in your life better than you can. So I want to announce right now that we are thankful for the grace of God that not only pulled us out of darkness, but the grace of God that has now invited us to be citizens of heaven, that when the trumpet does sound, and I believe that it's going to sound real soon, that we are white, we are ready, we're going to meet him. Come on, church. Why? We're going to stand firm. Give him one more big praise. Come on. I'm done preaching. Go ahead. Come on. Somebody just shout right there. Your, your breakthrough may be in your shout. There is something shifting in the atmosphere. Something is shifting. One of the things the Holy Spirit has done through 2020 end of this year I didn't understand it most of the year it didn't make sense because we talked about 2020 vision and focus and clarity and, and I even will hear preachers talk about hey where's your 2020 vision almost sarcastically not understanding that as I came to the end of the year, one of the hardest years I've ever walked through personally, I had more clarity, more vision, more focus on what matters than I ever had before. See, sometimes we, we declare things prophetically and we want it to unfold a certain way. But how many of God's ways are much higher than our ways? I had no idea that 2020 for us to be focused and have vision, God had to prune some people out. 
before there's a multiplication, a lot of times in Scripture, there's first some, there's, there's some subtraction. And so God has made some things clear through the pruning process. And now I believe that we are being positioned, church, because one of the things the Holy Spirit charged me with was don't get so caught up in the opinions of people because what happens is is that once you do that you you bow to that in other words their opinion becomes an idol it becomes something that begins to steal away first wednesday if you miss first wednesday this month I've already told you, it's one of the most powerful anointings I've ever walked under in my entire life. The presence of God is doing something new. But watch this. He doesn't pour new wine into an old wineskin. If we want the new wine, we got to prepare a new vessel. Church, are you willing to become something new so that God... I've learned to celebrate when God subtracts because it means he has something better on the other side. Maybe you feel like some things have been taken away from you in 2020. Don't look at it as I just lost something in 2020. Look at it as God was preparing me. He was prepping me for what he wanted to do next. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. No one looking around. The most important question I can ask you is, are you ready to meet Jesus? Should he return right now? Are you prepared for that? Have your sins been forgiven? Have you been, I know it's old fashioned, have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? That's the most important thing. And so I want to ask you today, if you're not saved, why don't, why don't you just give it to Jesus? Allow him to have an opportunity in your life. If I'm speaking to you right now and you say, Pastor, I need forgiven, I need grace, I need to repent today, would you just raise your hand right there where you are and say, that's me, you're, you're preaching to me. I wanna, I wanna repent today. If you would, just raise your hand long enough for me to see it. I'll wait for just a second. Thank you for this over here. God bless you. Anyone else? You say, that's me. Anyone else? Those of you that are watching on another one over here, God bless you. Awesome. So good. Come on, church. Lose your mind. This is out of darkness into light. This is on my way to hell, but now on my way to heaven. This is what we celebrate. Those of you online, we would love to pray with you as well. We'd love to pray for you as well. So just let us know. Our chat host will walk you through it. Every voice lifted, say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me, come into my heart, be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, celebrate those individuals that just made a decision for Jesus.
Come on, let the people of God rejoice. Yeah, let the people of God rejoice. Come on, drive the enemy back with your praise. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can go to BethesdaChurch.tv give. We'll catch you on the next episode, and we hope you have a great day.